Matthew chapter 2, verses 17 through 23. Of the great commentary of Cornelius Elipedi, St. Matthew's Gospel, by Cornelius Elipedi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Verses 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled, etc. They are not, because indeed, as far as the body was concerned, they perished, and that they were slain by Herod, but as to their souls, they were carried into eternity, says St. Hilary. I have explained this passage in my commentary on Jeremiah. St. Augustine graphically portrays this weeping of the mothers, and thus concludes, the lamentation of the mothers was mingled with the oblation of the little ones, as they passed into heaven. Tropologically, Rachel, the sheep, as the word signifies in Hebrew, bewails the death of her limbs, but the angels rejoice, yea, even the little ones, because their souls passed to the society of the angels. Whence St. Augustine, behold, the profane enemy could never have benefited the little ones by kindness as much as he did by hatred. And wherefore, because they received the dignity of eternal life before they received the use of time present. Therefore, in being born, they died unto the world, and by dying they began to live in heaven. To these infants are most appropriate those words of St. Paul, We are become a spectacle to the world, and to angels and to men. That is to say, in the circus and the amphitheater, we are seen of all. We are vithenatoi, i.e. we are exposed to gladiators and to wild beasts. Wherefore consider by this infanticide God would teach us as by a scenic representation that the whole of the Christian life, from childhood unto death, is perpetual persecution, the cross and death, and that the fortitude and courage of a Christian consist rather in enduring hardness than in doing hard things, in constant patience than in fighting, for it is more difficult to suffer than to act and fight. To act bravely, saith one, is the part of a Roman. To suffer bravely is the part of a Christian. When Christ suffered for us, he said, I give my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that pluck off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 50 The little ones in their turn, for Christ's sake, give their limbs to be mangled by the executioners. A Christian may do the same, and for God's sake, give his body for a prey. Give it unto death, unto labors, unto torments of every kind. Thus did St. Eusebius, Bishop of Vercelli, who writes to his flock, I have given my body to the Arians for a prey. By them he was tormented and became a glorious martyr of Christ, and a defender of his Godhead, even unto death. Truly saith St. Fulgentius, To this end God permitted Herod to slay the infants, that he might cause them to triumph over Herod. Lastly, St. Cyprian says, An age not suitable for battle was made fit for a crown. The Son of God suffered that he might make us sons of God, and the Son of Man wills not to suffer, that he may continue to be the Son of God. Now when Herod was dead, etc. Herod died a few days after the slaughter of Antipater, as Josephus says, and so but a few days after the murder of the innocents, as is clear from Macrobius. Hence Christ does not appear to have remained in Egypt more than two years. 
for he did not go there more than one year before Herod's death. And after Herod's death, when Archelaus his son had been sent to Rome and returned, Christ came back from Egypt, as the Gospel here states. Thus Onophrius Pavinus, and before him St. Epiphanius, although Baronius thinks that Christ returned from Egypt in the ninth year of his age. They are dead, etc. They, viz. Herod and his sons, Aristobulus, Alexander and Antipater, who, it would appear, entered into a conspiracy with the scribes and Pharisees against their father, and by consequence against Messiah, and were by Herod put to death. Verses 21 and 22. When he arose, he took the young child, etc. Observe Archelaus reigned as tetrarch, not as king. The angel had said to Joseph, Go into the land of Israel. Joseph understood Judea, because that was the most important part of the land of Israel, and therein was the temple. Thither, therefore, he thought of going to render God thanks for his happy return, especially because, by God's command, all the Hebrew males were commanded to go up to the temple thrice a year. Whence St. Augustine, the angel does not express into what part, that he may return to him again, when he is in doubt, but because he had not told him expressly. Joseph understood Judea, the more worthy part of the kingdom, for he thought that with such a boy he might only dwell in Jerusalem. But the angel meant Galilee. Moreover, Joseph turned aside into Galilee, although he knew that Herod Antipas, the brother of Archelaus, ruled there. He did so both because Archelaus was more ambitious and cruel than Antipas, as because the infant slaughter of Herod of Ascalon, the father of Archelaus, and Antipas had taken place in Judea and Bethlehem. Wherefore, Archelaus would remember it, and would easily perceive that when Christ came back to Judea, he had escaped the slaughter, and would therefore again seek to put him to death. Fully to enter into this history, Abvovo, as they say, consult Josephus. When Herod died in the thirty-seventh year of his reign, two of his surviving sons, Archelaus and Herod Antipas, who clothed Christ in his passion with a white robe, to mock him, contended together for the possession of his kingdom. Augustus entrusted the settlement of the dispute to Caius Caesar, his grandson by his daughter Julia, who decided as follows that neither disputant should succeed to the kingdom, but that it should be divided into four tetrarchs, whose rulers should be tetrarchs, not kings. In pursuance of this, he assigned Judea to Archelaus, Galilee to Antipas, Trachonites to their third brother Philip, Abilene to Licinius. This is clear from Luke 3. When therefore St. Matthew says, Archelaus reigned, you must not understand that he was a king, or had the title of a king, but of a tetrarch, or troparch, but yet with the hope of the kingdom and the kingly name, if he conducted himself well according to the promise of Augustus Caesar. After Archelaus had reigned as tetrarch for nine years, he was sent into exile for his bad government. Thirty-seven years after the battle of Actium, and seven before the death of Augustus, so Josephus, Eusebius, Scalanger, etc. When Archelaus was exiled, Augustus appointed governors of Judea, who ruled it in his name. 
There were three of those who presided over Judea during the seven years which elapsed before the death of Augustus. The first was Caponius, who, together with Cornius, prefect of Syria, confiscated the riches of Archelaus. The second was M. Ambinius. The third was Aeneas Rufus. From these facts, much light is thrown upon the narratives of Saints Matthew and Luke. And in the first place, it is clear why Matthew says that Joseph returned aside into Galilee from fear of Archelaus reigning in Judea. For it was lest he, following in the steps of his father Herod, should seek to slay Christ as the king of the Jews. In the second place, we see why Christ only went up to the temple in Judea when he was twelve years old. Archelaus had been then deprived of the Tetrarchy and driven into exile. In Archelaus, the race of Herod ceased to rule in Judea, and were succeeded by Roman governors, from whom Christ had nothing to fear, for he knew him not, and had not even heard his name. Verse 23, And he came and dwelt, etc. St. Mark, following the Latins, has Nazarenus. The other evangelists write Nazarios, and Dronominus gives the following account of Nazareth, which he collected out of St. Jerome, Eusebius, Prochard, and others. Nazareth, which is interpreted a flower, is a fair and flourishing city of Galilee, not far from Capernaum. It is built upon a mountain, which it girds like a crown. It is two leagues from Mount Tabor, and three days' journey from Jerusalem. Here blessed Mary, the flower of virgins, was born. Here Christ our Savior and Lord, our glory and our crown, like a flower of the field. As Jerome says, was conceived and brought up in all virtues, and lived four and twenty years. Hence this was his own and his father's city. Hence also he was called Nazarenos, or Nazarenos, and a Galilean. Hence, too, we who now are called Christians were anciently called Nazarenes and Galileans as a term of reproach. Moreover, says Rabanus, Galilee is interpreted migration, Nazareth a flower, because the more earnestly the church passes over two heavenly things, the more she abounds in flowers of virtues. That it might be fulfilled, a Nazarene. The name of Nazareth does not occur in the Old Testament. Hence we are unable to tell whether it was written in Hebrew with Zain and Tesseda, if with the former, Nazarene means sanctified, separate, consecrated, if with Tesseda, full of flowers regarded. The question arises, by what prophet, then, and wherefore was Christ called a Nazarene? There are several opinions. Two are most probable. One, Christ was called a Nazarene, in Hebrew, Nazir, or Nozirai written with Zain, meaning separate, holy, consecrated, crowned, religious, because Christ as man, being separated from every other thing, was hypostatically and wholly united to the word. For the word Nazar signifies to separate, to consecrate, to crown. Wherefore the religious under the old law, who separated themselves from wine and from the world, and consecrated themselves to God, were called Nazarites. See Numbers 6-2. But that Christ would be holy and consecrated to God, all the prophets foretold, especially Daniel, the holy of holies, i.e., Christ shall be anointed. Thus, too, Samson, who was a type of Christ, was a Nazarite, 
so too was Joseph. And as Joseph, after his imprisonment, was made Lord of Egypt, so Christ, after his death, was made Lord of the universe, so St. Ambrose and Ruperti. These Nazarites, however, are called in Greek, Nazaroi, written with Alpha, but Christ is always called Nazario, written with Omega, to distinguish him from the Nazarites, because he was not a Nazarite by vow, like them, but was called Nazarios, from his country Nazareth. Christ drank wine, which was forbidden by the Nazarites by their vow. The above is the explanation of St. Jerome on this passage, and of Eusebius, where he cites Leviticus 21 concerning the Aaronic priesthood, who was a type of Christ. Neither shall he go forth out of the holy place, because the oil of the holy anointing of his God is upon him. Instead of holy as qualifying anointing, the Hebrew has nezar, i.e. consecration or sanctification, with the oil of the anointing of his God. The index of Hebrew words usually found at the end of our Bibles and Paul of Burgos think that the passage which is here cited in Psalm 132, upon him shall flourish my sanctification. Once also the golden plate affixed to the pontifical tiara on which was inscribed holiness to the Lord is called nizor, i.e. crown or diadem of holiness. It was a type, yea, an index of Christ of Nazareth, holy and crowned. To this the apostle alludes. We see Jesus for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. On which see my comment. Eusebius says, The Septuagint translates Nazar by holy. Aquila has separation. Symmachus untouched. From these, therefore, the name Nazareth signifies either holy or separate or untouched. But some of the ancient priests, who were anointed with the prepared oil, which it was called by Moses, Nazar, were named Nazarites from this word Nazar. But our Savior and Lord, by his own nature, possessing in himself holiness and separation, neither having need of any human anointing, still obtained the title of Nazarite among men, not as though he were sold called from any oil named Nazar, but from the city of Nazareth, where he was brought up among his own relations. For as much as he was a man, Christ therefore was a Nazarite, i.e. separated from other men, sanctified, consecrated, and crowned high priest, legislator, teacher, redeemer, and sanctifier of the universe. The letter which is employed favors this opinion. The evangelists always wrote Nazareth or Nazarenos with the letter Z, which is the one which occurs in the Hebrew Nazar and Nazir. For if Nazarene is derived from Nazar with Teseda, so as to signify flourishing, it ought to be written Nazarene with an S. In all other names, the Hebrew name Teseda is represented by an S, as in Basra, Asor, Melchizedek, Sabbath, etc., on the other hand, the Hebrew Zane is translated by RZ, as appears from Zebulon, Zacharias, Beelzebub, etc. Let us add, it is more worthy the dignity of Christ that he should be called Nazarene with the letter Zane, i.e. holy, than Nazarene with Tzedah, that is flourishing. For 
Nazar, i.e. holiness, the consecration and crown of Christ, qua man, was the hypostatic union, or rather the actual Godhead of the word, which crown, sanctified, separated to itself, united and consecrated the whole humanity of Christ. Lastly, it is in favor of this opinion that St. Matthew says, which was spoken by the prophets, not by the prophet, by which he shows, says St. Jerome, that he was not quoting the words of one passage of scripture, but the sense of several. It is the opinion of others that Christ is called a Nazarene, from Nasser, with Tzed, i.e. flourishing from flower, or rather germinating from germ, for both Quilla and Theodosian, according to St. Jerome, render Nisar in Isaiah 11.2 by German. In Isaiah 11.2, the Vulgate has, a flower shall spring up from his root, translating the Hebrew, Nisar by flower. Nazarene, therefore, is the same as flourishing or germinating, growing into a great and glorious tree and producing abundant fruit. The first reason is that Christ is elsewhere called Tesmak, i.e. German, which the Vulgate renders Orinus, the dawn or day star, as though arising out of the earth. For Christ had sprung from the virgin of an undefiled German, or plant, and pure from every stain of sin. So he flourished with every virtue and scattered the odor of his sweetness far and wide. Whence Jerome says, when a flower is plucked, it does not lose its smell. When it is bruised, it increases. So when Christ was bruised in his passion, he the more manifested the power of his divinity and grace. The second reason is that in the inscription placed on the cross of Christ, which is preserved in the Basilica of the Holy Cross of Jerusalem. In Rome, Natsiri is written with Tzeda, not Zain. So says Pegninius. From ocular inspection, so too the Syrian and Arabic versions write Nazarene with Tzeda and the modern Jewish rabbis call Christians Natsirim, i.e. Nazarenus, writing the word with Tzeda. I myself have often seen the title of the cross at Rome and carefully inspected it, but the letters are so worn away that I have never been able to see that the Hebrew inscription has Tzeda. On the contrary, Zain not Tzeda seems to me to be the letter. Pausinius has a perfectly exact impression of the superscription of the cross. Examine it and you will agree with me. Besides, this title was written by Pilate, the Roman governor, or his Roman servants, who had little knowledge of Hebrew and could not tell whether Nazarene were spelt with Tzeda or Azane, and certainly would not care for the distinction between them. Various commentators, as Rabanus, Salmarion, Jensen, etc., write Nazarene with Tzeda, and translated flourishing, but most of them seem to have been influenced by Pagninius, who said that he had found Nostri spelt with Tzeda on the title of the cross. Both opinions may be conjoined and reconciled with each other by saying that if you look strictly to the letters, you will find Nizir with Zain, that is to say, holiness, consecration, crown, yet that there is an allusion to Nestor with Tzeda, i.e. a shoot, a flower, for these two letters are somewhat akin both in form and sound, and are occasionally interchanged both with one another and with some other Hebrew letters, as appearing in the conjunction of Hispale. Wherefore the psalmist conjoins the two, saying, My sanctification, Nazar, shall flourish, Nazarene, 
upon him. So also St. Jerome says, Nazareth is interpreted holy. All scripture testifies that the Lord shall be holy. We are able also to use, in another sense, what is written in the very same words in the prophet Isaiah, according to the Hebrew verity, Behold, a rod shall come forth from the root of Jesse, and a Nazarene shall arise out of his root. Lastly, as in their letters, so also in their significations, these two words are closely connected. For he who is Nazarenus, i.e. separated from earthly pleasures, is likewise Nazarius, i.e. flourishing with virtues. Hence, some derive the Greek agios, holy, not from a, not, and gay the earth, but he who is separated from the earth cultivates heavenly things and is holy. Matthew adds this because Nazareth was a small and despised town. Hence the name Nazarene seems both to Jews and Gentiles vile and mean, so that on account of it many were kept back from Christ and from acknowledging him as Messiah. Once Nathanael said to Philip, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Julian the Apostate was wont in contempt to call Christ the Galilean and the Nazarene. When he was struck by a dart from heaven and was about to die, he cried out, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean, thou hast conquered. Matthew, therefore, here shows that the name of Nazarene was a glorious one, for as much as it had been spoken of by the prophets and assigned to Christ many ages previously. The sense then is as follows. Although Christ was born in Bethlehem, he was conceived and brought up in Nazareth, a city small and obscure, that he might the better elude Herod and his posterity when he sought to slay him, and that he might give us an example of humility and contempt of the pomps of the world. Whence he was called the Nazarene, from the city of Nazareth. But so that not only the name Nazarene, but what was signified by the name, that his holiness should apply to him. So there was in reality fulfilled what Isaiah and the prophets foretold concerning Christ, that he was Nazir, holy, Nostri, or Nazareth, flourishing with all virtue and grace. Consequently, the name of Nazarene, which the Jews and others gave to Christ by way of reproach, is most illustrious, yea, a note and mark of the true Messiah. For by this very title, the prophets indicated and glorified Messiah. Tropologically, Christ is a Nazarene, i.e. separated from the world and consecrated to God, flourishing with all virtues, and the origin, father, and prince of the Nazarenes, that is, the religious, who despise the world and dedicate themselves wholly to God, that they may flourish in virtues, according to those words in Lamentations 4. Her Nazarites were fairer than snow, whiter than milk. They were more ruddy than ancient ivory, brighter than sapphires. Salmeron adds, Nazarene is the same as Samaritan, i.e. a keeper. For Nazar is to keep to guard, namely of men, according to those words of Job, What shall I do unto thee, O thou keeper of men? In Psalm 121, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So too Francis Lucas says, Nazarene, that is, keeper, preserver, defender. By Nazareth, therefore, the Blessed Virgin is represented, of whom Christ the Nazarene was born. For she was kept from original sin, from the shame of conception, from the corruption and pain of childbirth, and from turning to dust after death. For the body of the Virgin was not resolved into ashes after her death, as is the lot of other bodies. But it was 
together with her soul, taken up into heaven. These things are true, but rather symbolical than literal. End of chapter 2